Zivie Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zivieowens.com for updates on podcast guests and lots of live events. Today's episode has been sponsored by the Iceland Readers Retreat, which is happening April 29th to March 3rd in Iceland. Who doesn't want to go to Iceland? While you're there, you'll get small group lectures and talks by renowned authors, learning about the rich literary heritage of this Nordic book-loving nation. Adam Gopnik is the special guest this year, and he will be doing a small seminar on memoir. Between all these intimate book discussions, you get to have literary theme tours of the countryside, hear from other Icelandic writers, and discover some really cool artifacts in Reykjavik's museums. This sounds so fun, and I'm hoping I can somehow manage to get there, Uh, but you should check it out at Iceland. IcelandReadersRetreat.com. That's IcelandReadersRetreat.com. The price is $1,600, but that includes so much, everything for basically four days of your life. So check it out at the Iceland Readers Retreat. Thank you so much. I'm here today with Alice Berman, who's the author of the Audible Originals book, I Eat Men Like Air, a mystery slash thriller. She sold her book, Lost Boys and Technicolor Girls, to ABC, where it is in development to become a series with Freeform. Alice co-founded the ShopFeed app, which is the BuzzFeed of shopping, and previously served as the creative director for Pop and Suki, a magna cum laude graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, where she won the Gibson Peacock Award for creative nonfiction. Alice currently lives in New York City. Alice Berman's book, I Eat Men Like Air, was just nominated for an Audi for Best Original Work on Audible, which is super, super exciting. Alice is also the head of partnerships now for me for Moms No Time to Read Books. So anybody who wants to be a sponsor or sponsor an event, talk to Alice and learn more about her here. Welcome, Alice. Thanks for coming on Moms No Time to Read Books. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy you're here. I have to say, you are the first person that I've interviewed who has an Audible original. Oh, I feel so special. Which is very cool. Thank you. Your book, I Eat Men Like Air, which, by the way, every time I mention this title, people laugh, people are interested. (laughs) It's like... Brilliant title. Tell me about, first of all, what the story is about and also how it ended up being an Audible original and why you went that route and the whole story. So the story starts out, it has seven main characters and you find out on page one that one of them is dead. And you kind of follow that thread back in time through what happened to bring him to that moment in time. And there's a sort of traumatic event early on that affects all of these seven people. And they kind of are working through that while you as the reader are also trying to figure out what happened to Alex, who is dead. And it's all centered around a wedding party and a wedding, which was always something I really wanted to do because I've been a bridesmaid a few times. And I think it's really interesting to be in this combination of people where you're really close friends with everyone who's else who's a bridesmaid and you don't know any of the groomsmen and you're kind of like thrown together over and over again for a year, year and a half, and then you never see each other again. They should do like reunions for the wedding party. They should. I feel like some of my wedding parties. Yeah, me too. And I haven't (laughs) seen some of these people since my friends got married. Exactly. We should encourage all of the anniversary (laughs) parties to it. Anyway, now everybody's (laughs) having new parties thanks to us, which we don't have time to go to. Okay, so you thought of this idea. How how did you come up with this idea, aside from being a bridesmaid? I came up, I had kind of been kicking it around for a while. I knew that I wanted to focus on the wedding party. I've always been a huge fan of mysteries, and I knew I wanted to write a mystery and kind of kind of make it a little more focused on sort of the feelings and thoughts behind the characters because I love Agatha Christie, but you never really get that deeply into any of the characters' thought process except for the detectives. And that's great, but 
I wanted to read something that went a little more deeply into kind of what everyone was thinking maybe would allow you to see why someone would get to the point of murder. Interesting. <laughs> and is there any firsthand experience with any crime, anything? <laughs> Not at all. Anything you want to share right now? <laughs> this is my moment. Okay. But I read this Robert Ressler book called, I think, Those Who Fight Monsters. And he's the man who sort of coined the term serial killer. He worked for the FBI for years and he traveled around the country interviewing all of these very famous serial killers like Tex Walker and Charles Manson. I'm not sure if I got Tex Walker's last name right. But anyway, and I was really struck by him talking about, you know, Ted Bundy as a human and what the psychology looked like there and how easy it was to forget that these people were more than just killers. And I thought that that was really fascinating. And he talks about this one moment where he's alone with a very famous serial killer who was, I can't remember which one it was, but he's like, you know, 6'5 and very strong. And he got really nervous just sitting there and remembered suddenly that he was a killer because he'd forgotten and spending three hours alone with him until these last five minutes. And I was so struck by that as something that we forget to humanize people a lot of the time. Although I feel like sometimes people think there's too much attention on the killers and not the victims. Like oh, in some like in some crimes that are like I had this woman Caroline Murnick on and she wrote a book called The Hot One about and someone had murdered a friend of hers. And she was upset by how much attention murders get. Like maybe people who are sort of mentally unbalanced to begin with crave that attention. And then Absolutely. the media sort of perpetuates it. So Completely. And that's actually a huge part of the book, which is about of Robert Russell's book. Not at all in my book. Okay. Yeah. Um, but Now we're just going to talk about other books. <laughs> but I completely agree. And I always think it's interesting when you go into the victim's family and you, you're actually seeing these people who are affected by it. And that was part of why I wanted to kind of shrug away from the mystery genre of just focusing on, you know, one person or maybe one person solving the crime and get into everyone and their friends and their family and their background. Well, you did a good job because I had no idea. In fact, I was reading it and I always like involve my kids with the books I'm reading. I'm like, this is a mystery. Let me tell you what happened. And there's this thing and there's this watch and I don't know, <laughs> like whatever. And they're like, well, what do you mean? Why would he be dead in a bathtub? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> then I was like, maybe I shouldn't be sharing all this. Anyway, so like every day they're like, who did it? Oh, that's so, Amazing. I'm yeah, so, so they were very, glad. yeah, they were I'm very so happy And I did not it. see it really coming. So, it was, <laughs> good. It that makes good. me so happy. <laughs> so, you wrote this book and you've also written another book, Lost Boys and Technicolor Girls, yes. which you sold to ABC. Yes. So, that's in development. That's in development. But that's also not an actual book? No, we haven't sold the print rights for that yet. We haven't really, that kind of like got sold almost accidentally through a weird series of events. I was working in fashion at the time and I'd written it and given it to a friend at UTA and it just, sort of happened, which has been amazing. And it was kind of similar with Audible. I knew I was still working full-time pretty much at the time, and I knew that I wanted it to be a book. And my wonderful agent found my wonderful editor at Audible, Jess, and she was just so understanding of the book. She grew up on the Upper East Side. She knew a lot of the places that are mentioned in it. And the second we met, I was like, oh my God, here's the book, take it and go with it. And she was just such an amazing editor and so great to work with. And that was really, as much as I love Audible as an audio as a medium, because I do a ton of listening, she was really the reason why I went with Audible 100%. I just trusted her so much. 
somebody was asking me this question and I had no answer. So I'm going to ask you these questions that make me seem very stupid. But um, how did the economics of publishing an audiobook versus a regular book work? Like if you're an author and you have the choice of where you would want to sell things, how do you, like, how does it work with audiobooks? It's really similar. And Audible makes it incredibly compelling since they've started their originals program. They pay you a really generous advance and then they pay you kind of bonuses per download, very similar to royalties. And so it's similar. Pretty much exactly the same. Yeah. Except you never get a printed book. Yeah. But you can go sell your print rights, which I haven't found the right person for this book yet. But when I do, like, I'll sell my print rights and then I'll get kind of twice as much. You know what I mean? So then, so even after they air it and you get all your downloads and blah, 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 you can sell the print rights to a traditional publisher. Yeah. And then they go sell it in a bookstore. Yeah. That's so cool. It's amazing. And I will also say working with Audible, they are so kind and thoughtful and easy to work with. And they're so big on supporting authors and whatever we can do for you. And I've been amazed at how they will answer any phone call at any time or any question, any text. Like I know pretty much everyone there and I feel really comfortable with them. And because this was my first book that was coming out, that was really important to me because it's very scary to put yourself out there like that. And I felt like I had a really strong support system with them. And then they have like a free distribution platform, right? I mean, they yeah. don't have to get anything into stores. So once they put it up, it's amazing. It's just there and everybody can download it. So it's almost like they have no costs. I've been so surprised with how many people have read or listened to the book. People reach out to me on Instagram who I don't know, or I'll read the reviews and I'm like, I don't know this person at all. I've never met anyone who lives in Kansas or right. whatever. It's astounding. And do they help with marketing? They definitely help with marketing. I mean, they. They have such a strong sort of following, I think, that anything that's promoted on their website, mm-hmm. you're immediately getting eyes onto that title, which I really appreciated and enjoyed. And do they, sorry for all these questions. No, no. Do, do they all. guarantee you that they'll promote, like, do they have so many titles that they only promote some people on the website? Is it like Apple? You know what I mean? I Where like there's so much content or do they make it, do, is part of the deal that they will promote you on the website? I don't know if that was part of my deal. I'm embarrassed to say, but I definitely, they promoted me on the website and in emails and I felt really just supported is the best word. Like whenever I was like, oh, I don't know, how's it doing? They were like, everything's great. Yay for everything. So it was really, it was a great experience. I've loved working with them. So neat. So when you were writing, did you know, like at what stage did Audible get involved? Like, cause I know I saw the print version so you, did you like self-published or who, who gave, who I had just printed galleys. You just printed I, galleys. A lot of people were not willing to listen to it. And it was kind of a way of getting people who, you know, are book influencers or people like you to sort of yes. listen to the book. Because I think it's great to listen to it. But if you're not someone who naturally listens to audiobooks, mm-hmm. you have to kind of actually see and hold the galley and start reading it to be like, okay, I could listen to this. And then once you start listening to it, you know, the woman who performs it is so talented. It becomes more like an experience rather than just reading. When I listened to it, I was in the car and my babysitter and I were listening while the kids were like doing their own stuff in the car. And it's like, we got so engrossed immediately yeah. because all the it's like all the tones of voice and the Lulu and the t- and then I finished it reading it because I read faster than I listen. Definitely, so. I read faster than I listen. To, I was like twelve more hours. What? I know. <laughs> I was like, I don't have twelve hours. I I'm like two hours anyway. <laughs> no, but it was great. And like, if I was in my car more, I don't have like a car based lifestyle. Definitely, but for people who do, I mean, 
if I were, you know, even in the summertime where I'm in the car a lot more, this would have been like a perfect driving to and from. When I lived in LA, that was when I got into podcasts and audiobooks because I was in the car all the time. So I was always listening to something. And also you had a podcast character as like the central guy that you framed the story around, the investigator who runs a crime podcast. Exactly. Which I also found so interesting because I love now like seeing podcasts pop up in books. Yeah. You know, like, oh, maybe they're here to stay. Who knows? <laughs> they are definitely here to I, stay. I mean, I don't opinion. know. It's so new. I, I mean, not that I don't know. I was so taken by Serial and S-Town and those kind of crime podcasts. And I loved the idea that these journalists got so close to their subjects that it became kind of they were questioning their own morality in the situation. And I just thought that it was such an interesting dilemma. So that was why I decided to include a podcast narrator as the person who solves the crime. But then going back to your original question of when did Audible become involved, they became involved at the very end. I didn't, I wasn't initially thinking of this as an audio book, but the second my agent suggested it, I was like, oh my God, because there's a mm-hmm. podcast in this, that is so perfect. Yeah. I kind of get the crime podcast that I wanted. Wow. So I was really excited about that. That's so cool. It was great. So I was going to, so because in the galley version, you have notes on how you want people to read it. So did you go back in and add those? I went so, back in and added those, and that was great, and also cuts down on the word count, which yeah. everyone is always <laughs> trying to do. So I was so happy. You have no idea. I think I ended up cutting like 4,000 words of just directions of voices by giving the narrator, this wonderful woman, Elizabeth Evans, the directions. And I was so happy with her because, I mean, for so many reasons, but she had such a sense of humor. And there were so many times when I didn't realize I had written something that was really funny, but because she delivered the line in a funny way, I was laughing, which I loved. Did you get to have any input on who read it? Yeah, they let me listen to, I think, probably six different narrators. And I just, she was the second one I listened to. And I was like, oh my God. This woman's amazing. Let's do her. She's great. The section they had her reading was where they talk about Lanzerhof lands. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the other narrators, this not to be rude because they were all lovely and talented, but they all had these really long, complicated pronoun- pronunciations of like, Lanzerhof lands. And I was like, oh my God, no, no, no. And Elizabeth just said Lanzerhof lands. And I was like, great. That's so She's nice. got it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so tell me a little more of your backstory before you got into writing. So you started an app, like a shopping. Yes. Which so I, you know everything. Well, I went online. I was like, ooh, another, look at all this. Look at all this. There were two I, different shopping sites. I'm like, yeah. I got to get off of these websites. <laughs> I can't keep doing research into this author by shopping anymore. <laughs> I went to Penn and then I moved to LA and worked for an interior designer and then ended up working at a friend's shopping app that was called ShopFeed, which was great. And I learned so much about, that was really where I learned how to write concisely because I was writing all the articles. And I loved that. That was an amazing experience. And then I left and went to work at a direct-to-consumer accessories company where I learned a lot more about sort of tech packs and developing products and leather samples. And that was also great. But I was basically only writing copy for the website, which we didn't need a lot of copy. So I really missed writing. And that was when I started writing at work. Like around 3 o'clock every day, things would kind of calm down. And I would just sit at my desk and I started writing this book. And then... It came to be. Wow. And then you also had this profile in Architectural Digest on your family's home, but you were like the tour guide of it (laughs) and all the history imbued in it and how it moved from place to place. And it was part of the Revolutionary War. It's a fascinating house. And 
Part of the background of this, everyone's always surprised when I tell them this. It took me about six months while I was at work to write the first third of the book. And then I came home to my parents' house in D.C. and I wrote the last two-thirds of the book in a month. So it was so much faster than the first part of it because I was just so comfortable there and I felt so safe. And I think no one really talks about that enough, but like you have to have your space where you feel like anything you do is going to be okay. And I really felt that way being at my parents' house. And it is a really unusual house. It's the oldest house in Washington, D.C. It was moved from Danvers, Massachusetts on a train car piece by piece and reassembled in this D.C. neighborhood in the 1920s that at the time like had no houses. (laughs) And it has been a girls boarding school. It was a headquarters for the Revolutionary War at one point. There are so many just little hidden amazing pieces of it. I was in my parents' bathroom the other day and I noticed there's one huge floorboard that is all etched, hand etched. And I think that probably happened when there were girls living there and someone did that for fun at boarding school. I went to boarding school, so I know you get up to some weird stuff. (laughs) Um, And it was just a really amazing place to write and an amazing place to think about. I just kept thinking over and over about all the different people who had been in this room that I was sitting in and how ephemeral everything is and how important writing is in comparison to that, because it's the only thing that really endures and how I was curious. I wished that I could have read some of the writing of these people I don't know, it was just a really amazing experience. So did you, and you had a picture of this green couch on which you wrote most of the book. Yes. Which I was like staring at longingly. <laughs> I could just like picture you sitting there with like no one bothering you and this your dog exactly. and like light streaming in. And I was like, oh, that would be so nice. It's exactly <laughs> so that. nice if I could sit there for a month and write. <laughs> <laughs> Completely. It, it's like... I never thought writer's retreats were anything until I had this month. And then I realized, you know, it makes a difference. This sounds so trivial, but not worrying about what you're going to eat in a day, even just like whether or not there is food in the fridge makes such a difference. (laughs) Just like what I'm feeding my kids. Yeah, Like how many, I can't think about dinner again. Dinner always comes back. I can never cross it off the list. And I would just show up and there was like orange juice. And I'm like, oh my God, I haven't seen orange juice in six years. I mean, I... I go to the grocery store. I could just buy myself orange juice. Alice, I'm going to go check into your parents' house. I know. It's I'm gonna, so nice. It would be like the, the new Yado of, you know. Exactly. Get, exactly. Forget about Yado. People can just go to Berman's family <laughs> home. In the book, at one point, Lulu, one of your characters, says the best part of being an adult is eating cookies for dinner, but that all the rest of it is just exhaustion. It's like just what we were talking yeah, about. Pretty completely. much. Do you find yourself like run down by sort of Hashtag adulthood. Definitely. I don't feel like an adult at all. Someone asked me how old I was the other day, and I was like, 25. Wait, I'm 29. What am I talking about? I don't know. I think it's living in New York is also just so different from living in L.A. I've only been here for like a year and a half. And in L.A., because you go everywhere in your car, it's just I feel like life felt a little more convenient there. And in New York, it's harder to kind of figure out like, where your Whole Foods is and walk there and carry your groceries back. I mean, all of this sounds very trivial, but it's just a lot more thinking about life. And I think also because I spent so many of my formative years in LA, shifting to the New York mindset and learning how to live in a new city as an adult is actually something that's kind of a life skill that you have to sort of figure out. My husband moved here. He grew up in Florida and then lived in Charleston and all these places in the South. And now that he's here, he's like, I don't understand growth. Like, 
I want to like take my car and go to the grocery and put the bags in my car. Exactly. And, and he like bundles up to go to Cinderella and like the freezing yes. cold. And he's like, this is terrible. And he's like, you know, nobody has to live in the Northeast. He's like, this is a choice. Why is everybody here? I completely agree. It's so interesting because I went to boarding school in New England and I love New England. And I feel as though New Yorkers have this little bit of that New England Puritan, like I will be tough and mm-hmm. I'll do whatever it takes to live in this place. And you're like, wait, why though? But that is amazing and magical I know, and wonderful. I know. But then I can't leave. And exactly. I'm like, I don't know. I don't even travel as much since I moved here because I love living here so much. And it's such a unique experience. And every day is something different, which I just think is, I don't think you could find that anywhere else. No, it's pretty awesome. And you include a lot of that in your book too. All the lo- like you clearly are tapped in because <laughs> you have like all the local haunts and the food stores and every reference to basically everything that is in my day-to-day life in your book. So well done Thank after you. a year and a half. So what is coming next for you? Are you going to write another book or do you have a, like what's I have what's another next? book finished that will go out for sale in January. That's it's, so soon. Yeah. Sorry, this is coming out probably after it will already be for sale. But Yes, uh, sorry, not, sorry. It's not going for sale. It's going out to publishers. Sorry, confusing thing. It's going out to publishers in January. It will probably be out in like 40 years. Right, now I understand. Yeah. And that is kind of like Royal Tenenbaums meets Gossip Girl, I guess. It's sort of also set on the Upper East Side. And it's two girls who <laughs> moved to New York from L.A. They moved back home to their childhood home. And they're kind of kicking around in this crazy house with their three other crazy siblings and their mom. And they're sort of navigating being adults, but being back where they grew up mm-hmm. and kind of feeling like they're in a state of arrested development. Love it. And there's a murder. Obviously. And there's a murder. And there's a murder. Yeah, just throw that in. <laughs> wow. And so are you going to take, I mean, do you want that to be an, well, maybe I shouldn't even ask, do you want that to be an audible or are you going to go back to the uh, traditional route or you're, or you're open to anything at this point? I'm really open to anything. I feel like everything that's happened so far with my book career, knock on wood, it's just been really easy and lovely. And I think the the biggest lesson I've learned is just when you relate to someone and you meet someone who you like and you feel as though they understand what you're saying, Mm -hmm. that's the right person to work with. That's great advice. Yeah, I was going to ask you for advice. What other (laughs) advice do you have? Okay, so find the right editor and publisher or whatever. I feel like one thing that I completely learned from you and I'm so grateful for is to be friends with authors. (laughs) I knew like one other author before I came into the Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books family. And it is so lovely having this community of people who can talk about what it's like to sit and write all day, can talk about, you know, taking days off from writing and agents and advances and, you know, print numbers and all of this stuff. It it really makes a difference because it's a very unusual group of people and it's kind of hard to tap into. And that's, I've been incredibly grateful for everyone I've met here. They're all so friendly and so helpful. Oh, good. Definitely makes a huge difference, I think. Oh, I'm so glad it helps. It does. Alice has been coming to the book events here because I've been having not gotten to this book for quite some time and I've had it and I'm sorry, but no, no, I've loved coming I'm to the, the book events. No, it's so fun having you here. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited that our paths have crossed in life. Me too. And I'm so looking forward to your next crime, which I will, <laughs> I will partially listen to perhaps in my car and the rest I will read. Amazing. And uh, I'm just, I'm so impressed with all you've done at age 29. I'm actually like insanely jealous of you. And thank you. Um, I, feel like I can't wait nothing. to watch. You've done a lot. Are you kidding? I can't wait to sort of follow what happens next with all your Thank you so much. Everything. And thank you for all of the book recommendations. Oh, sure. <laughs> what a Save me changer. a spot on the couch. I definitely will. Anytime. <laughs> I'll be like crashing. Anytime. <laughs> all right. Thanks, so. 
You've been listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zibby Owens. Please make sure to sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com to get more updates about episodes like these and also lots of live events. Thanks so much. Today's episode has been sponsored by the Iceland Readers Retreat. Don't forget to check it out April 29th to May 3rd, 2020, icelandreadersretreat.com. You can follow me on Instagram at moms don't have time to read books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 